I'm reading from the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, and there's just one verse today. Uh, there are many more scriptures that I'll present, but one verse today, and it comes from verse 9, uh, the latter portion of his, um, of his book, Jeremiah 49. Jeremiah 49 and verse 9. And I'm going to lift from this verse just a phrase or a, a concept that, that, um, that the prophet is not in flow of, but it but has relevancy to, to where the Spirit of the Lord has taken me and reading the book of Jeremiah, this particular phrase stood out in a profound way, and, and then the Lord drew me aside. Um, and so this is sometimes what the Lord does while I'm reading. There's a scripture, and he'll draw me aside. And um, that's what happened to me. So when he spoke that into my spirit, I just committed to deliver it to the saints. Jeremiah 49, verse 9. If grapes or if grape gatherers come to thee, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If thieves by night, they will destroy till they have enough. It's a, it's a, the imagery is much larger than this, uh, but I just want to speak to you about a few grapes. And uh, I really believe the Lord has a word for so many today. Sometimes I think it might be for the whole church and sometimes it's for one, but I really don't know how far this is going to go because it's not my word. It's really the Lord's and it's all about him and what he is going to do, what he has to do. And um, this is his anointed word, but he also um, uh, gives us specific words into our lives. Amen. In Jesus' name, and all the people speak his name today. Would you say his name, Jesus? There's something about the name of Jesus. I invoke his name, Jesus. His name is a banner over me. His name is a covering name. You can speak his name. It, it acts like a warm blanket in a cold night. It's, it's greater than any balm or medicine if you'll speak his name. His name gives clarity and brings cloudiness and confusion. And, and cloudiness and confusion, he, it, he, he dissipates that just by saying his name. It's a, it's a sweeping thing, his name. Amen. Praise God. Say his name one more time. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, there's just something I want to say it about that name. Master, my Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
Let all heaven and earth proclaim Kings and kingdoms shall all pass away But there is something about that name. Amen. Just lift your hands and love him. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. Just stepping into the scripture, it is clear that even before David assumed the throne, he was a very well-equipped leader. Several years had now passed and he's no longer a Rudy Shepherd working in the hidden fields of his father, some adolescent warding off the beast of the field. But now David is a warrior with victories and successes under his belt. But he's also displaced by King Saul's jealousy and rage. So David will avoid the conflict. David's anointing was present even before his position was assumed. At the time of this narrative, David is living under the threat of his soon-to-be predecessor, He does have men around him. However, it's a small group of fighting men. In some portions of the scripture, there are 400 of them. In another portion, there there are 600, depending on what time this was written. But those men have all been discouraged themselves, and they have all been displaced. The only location of comfort is around this anointed man, David. On one particular occasion, the Bible states that David gathered his band of warriors and led them on a mission to fight against a known enemy of Israel. So this was their purpose. David is doing what's right. He is battling the known enemies of the nation and the people of Israel. And not only is he doing the right thing, but he's also doing what he did best. He was made for this. They once sang a song. The last line was, David has killed his ten thousands. But while he and his men are on that mission, another enemy comes behind them and kidnaps their families. When David and his men returned home, they found everyone and everything gone. Each man, each warrior, 
Each faithful man to David suffered the same calamity. Those faithful followers of David returned to their camp only to find their wives and daughters, young sons and infants missing. The enemy had come and stole all that they had. The Amalekites, that's who they were. They were like a band of guerrilla terrorists. They should have been wiped out before this, but King Saul saved the best of the Amalekites and they rose back up. They should have been gone, but they lived by pillaging people and taking the work of, of the faithful men. They burned some of the area. They pillaged the place. They, they took the food and supplies and the meager gains that David had his, and his men had, had acquired. It was gone, all of it, all, all of it gone, all. No one had to guess what happened there. No one stood around wondering what took place. No one was bewildered. The rising smoke told the story. The empty camp spoke of it. The bare storage containers, dry barrels, a small broken down wooden fence where sheep and goats once stood. They were gone. Their entire family is gone. All of their wives, all of their children, all of the aged parents and grandparents. Because that is what the enemy loves to do. He wants to take all of it. His business is to remove everything. Every bit that he can. The devil once approached God concerning Job and said, Job is only faithful because you protect him, but just remove the hedge around him. Let me take everything from Job, everything, and then see if Job is still faithful to you. And when it was all gone and Job was still faithful, the devil... Lucifer, Satan, came back to God and said, let me afflict his body and see if Job will still bless your name. And God allowed it. You can't kill him, but you can afflict him. There was nothing left. No children, no cattle, no comfort, no help, and no health. Because the thief comes to steal, and to steal completely. And it's easy to see it when the thief comes and steals it all. Emptiness is easy to identify. When people's lives are stripped and there's nothing left, that is the enemy's complete and sole intent to take it all. Jesus offered a contrast between his nature and that of the devil. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come to give life. The comparison contrast is that the thief takes away while the Lord adds. Jesus said, I'm come to give life. And not just life, but life more abundantly. So he gives life and then he adds to it. But the thief comes to remove everything if he can. I remember the song we used to sing. It was a song way back in my childhood that the Lord gets, that it gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Because there's an addition that the Lord adds to your life. Not only does he save you and keep you, but he adds things to your life. One thing after another after another. And you get used to it. You don't realize how good the Lord has been to you day after day, year after year. Here's adding something to you. But the thief is the opposite. He takes a little bit here and there. So he wants to wipe you out completely. And I suppose that David hit rock bottom when he came back to find his entire family gone. I cannot imagine losing my family, especially to the world. There, there's no greater heartbreak than to watch families splinter 
and the elements of false doctrine or worldliness or whatever level of secularism strips them of their faith in God. I don't want to lose my family. I'll lose everything, but I don't want to lose my kids and my wife, my family. But in this real storyline, David has indeed lost his family. Everything is gone. Everyone is gone because empty is easy to see. Empty cannot be hidden. It's a hard task to cover up hollowed out depletions and voids. They're just hard to disguise and and few, if any, have ever been successful in doing so. And when those men came back and found nothing but the footprints of the Amalekites, they sunk into anger and then depression and then all out despair. Verse 30, verse, verse 4 of, of 1 Samuel 30. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. They cried until there were no more tears. They ached until there was, there was nothing left to groan about. All, all of it gone. I, I can identify all here and then gone. In my hand and then lost. Embraced and then nothing but air. I know what I feel when I'm at the bottom. And people might look at me and judge me to be invincible. The anointing is my hope, but the loss in life is ever present. It's a misjudgment. <laughs> All is a big word. You don't have to be spiritual or even sensitive to understand all. That woman that had the issue of blood, she must have had some means because the Bible indicates that she spent all that she had and was nothing better. Her money ran out. It means that there were no more resources resources to draw from, no solutions in the future, no means to try one more thing. She had tried everything and it spent all and she's at the end. If you've ever spent all, then you know what I'm talking about empty pockets and bank accounts that are empty and things that are overdrawn and wallets that have nothing in it but just an old receipt being at the lowest point is the same it's the same thing feeling low and knowing it because people at the bottom they they can't hide it because they're at the bottom that is the leper sitting at the outside of the wall sitting outside of the wall and he's got nothing but the faint memory of health and family He's separated. He's lost it all. It's the lame man. Many lame men. One of them lying at the pool of of Bethesda for 38 years without even one friend or family to help him get into the water. He will look up and say, I don't have anybody. I have nobody to help me. He might have had someone years ago, but at that juncture, he was done. Nobody. Somebody else is ahead of me. Always ahead of me. All of them are gone. Friends, family, they're all gone. I don't even have acquaintance absent from his life. All. Sometimes it's the saints, people who come to church, believers, people who know the Lord, but they're vacant of their first love and their first fire. All, it's just gone. Every truthful soul will tell you that when that, when that happens, sometimes they're just cold in the Lord, just cold. That too is difficult to hide. Many have admitted to being cold. They said, to me, I want to feel it again. I, I, I want to have the emotion of worship, but I feel empty. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the work of the thief to strip you of everything. That's the story of every addiction in this world. Because the addiction is coming from the depths of darkness to take everything from you. 
I embraced a man at an altar one time and he lost everything. His two children, his wife, his job, his house, everything, his health, everything. Because that's the work of the devil to take all and you can't hide it. He couldn't hide it. He was a frail man stripped of everything. That's the work of the devil. He does what he can do to take as much of your faith as he can take. If possible, he'll destroy you completely. But if not, he wants to take everything that he can. He has come to kill, to steal, and destroy. And to the devil, this is no game. It's no passive thing for him. It's a daily 24-hour ambition to strip you of your faith, of your love, of your passion, of your faithfulness. To him, it's life and death, and he's after death. It is his sole purpose for existence. He wants to take God's creation, distort God's creation, take the unique creation born by the breath of the Lord, that one creation that was made after the image of God, made with an eternal living soul, and destroy that creation. He has it work in so many ways, but we don't always see the demonic schemes. We don't always see it. The devil is the enemy of the Most High God, and to rebuff the Lord, the devil is after the pursuit and pursuing God's children. He's after God's children. That is how he get, gets back at God. He cannot fight God, but he can fight you. Jesus spoke to Peter before the resurrection, before the cross, and he encouraged Peter before Peter even knew that he needed encouragement. And Jesus turned and said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat. He wants to have you, but I prayed for you because your faith is going to be messed up and I hope your faith doesn't fail. I'm going to pray for you. And when you are finally converted, because right now you think you've, you've got it made, but you're not, you're not yet converted. And when you're converted, strengthen other people. I want, I want you to know, Peter, the devil wants to sift you. And that word comes, I looked it up, it comes from the Greek word, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but synazio. It was the harsh process of getting the grain from the chief, from the, from the chaff rather. The stalk was beaten, it was crushed, it was tossed in the air. It's a grueling process to separate, to separate, to divide, to crush, to smash. Satan wants to sift you. He wants to destroy you. All of it gone. No faith. No confidence until you are cold and indifferent. That is the work of the enemy in your life. And I can identify all. I know all. I see all. The devil can't wipe you out. There's other ways. But he really wants all. traveling a little bit through the years and especially uh, this early this year I'm always happy to, to know that they were expecting me to come I get into the hotel room and there's a welcome basket sometimes there's a little note we're so glad you're here it just makes me feel good I hope they feel that way when I leave. (laughs) Thanks for leaving. (laughs) Nobody writes that note, but I I think they could. (laughs) I commit every time that I'm in the hotel room 
what I'm not going to eat out of that welcome basket. I say to myself, you can't tempt me. No. And they put stuff in there that is so good and so bad. And this is what I do now as a routine. I take all the good stuff out and and put it right on the counter there. The apple, the banana. Um, Sometimes there's a little... uh, A little sausage stuff in there, a little protein, peanuts, line it all up. I leave all of the other stuff in the bag. And uh, almonds, really loved almonds. But I had a big welcome basket the other day, and, and they had all this stuff in it, and, and they also had grapes. It was wonderful. Now, I will tell you, if the, if the meetings last a long time, if, the, if there's two or three days and there's only one welcome basket, the first day, I've probably eaten all the fruit. And the next night, I backslide. <laughs> and I say, listen, it only, it's only 160 calories for this bag. Of... And then they've got this thing called skinny popcorn. Now, I know that they're lying. But it says skinny. And you have to believe what you read, right? That's what all you do on the internet. That's why many of you are messed up because you've been reading Facebook all week long. It's going to store your brain. You didn't read the Bible, but you, but you read someone who posted something about it. Spirit of conviction just swept over here. We won't deal with that today. I eat the skinny popcorn. And it didn't fill me up, so I compromised and said, well, I won't eat the chocolate, but how about the Doritos? And then I'm sick and realize I've backslidden. But earlier this year, somebody had the wonderful thought to put a, a cluster of grapes, and man, they were so good. But I was saving them because I knew I just checked in and knew the pastor was picking me up and some ministers were coming, so they had a dinner plan. I, and I was gone the whole time. And then I thought, man, I'm really full. I'll save them for tomorrow. And I did. And when I came back to the room the next day, the grapes were still there. But I... I would bet that there was four or five of them missing. I know. Because I had studied those grapes for two days waiting. I was thinking, I'm not going to be a hypocrite this time. I've got a cluster of grapes. And I looked up, and I looked at those grapes real intently. And there was just, backside, there was a stem without a grape and stem. And I thought... I should have counted them before I left. Now, if that housekeeper, whoever she is, Lord forgive her, would have taken away all my grapes, I'd have gone to the front desk and I'd have told the manager, 
your housekeeper stole my grapes. I had no problem with that. I'm, I, and maybe that's not of God, but I would have lodged a complaint. I would have said it. I would have went to the housekeeper. Listen, I've complained about stuff far less than that. God forgive me, but that's usually when my wife's not with me. I, then I, Tammy tells me, don't spend your life at the complaint counter. And I'm trying to heed that. Because I know that makes her happy. <laughs> but when there was four or five gone, you know, you could live with four or five grapes missing. But I'm not tolerating all of them gone. I can compromise and negotiate if you'll just leave me most of it. (laughs) But if you take two or three, okay, I'm still pretty full. It's not everything. I can live with that. Because the enemy probably can't wipe you out completely. And the enemy probably is not going to take all. He might just end up gleaning a few grapes and leaving most of it. Because the damage is not always defined by what he takes. The damage is done by what he leaves behind. Oh, Just enough so you won't really notice and you won't really fight for it. Just a little bit of callous living, just a little bit of lack of faith, just a little bit of skepticism. He may leave you with most of it. That way you won't feel the great impact of what's missing. And that's the plot of the devil. He would like to take all of it, but he can't take all of it. He'll just take the little fringes of your life away. Until you compromise here and and you give up a little bit of here and you got a little doubt here and here's a wound and there's a wound. It's not a big thing, but it did cut you. It's not a whole thing, but it's a little bit here and there. And he'll take all of that. Instead of taking all of the grapes, he'll take four or five. And what do we do? Well, God's still good. We're, we're, We're okay. He may leave you not with as much as you had hoping you won't notice and fight for all of it. Here here it is. The king of Egypt stood before the the king of Israel. He stole the gold shields. And instead of fighting and defending those gold, hand-beaten shields of gold, instead of fighting for that, Rehoboam replaced them with shields of brass. And from a distance... They looked the same. From across the way, they looked like the original. But the enemy has come. And the the king of Egypt, he didn't take everything. He just took the most precious of the armor 
and in his carnal state, Rehoboam made it look like nothing had changed. Here's the word. Instead of which King Rehoboam made shields of brass and committed them to the hands of the chief of the guard that kept the entrance of the king's house. They were the same size. They were the same shape. They had the same function. Those shields were committed into the hands, the very hands of the guard to protect the entrance, but they were not shields of gold. Not all was taken, just the most valuable and precious thing. Because the enemy may not be able to wipe you out, but you don't have to hit rock bottom to lose the most precious thing. That's why Paul stood up and said, neither give place to the devil. Because the devil would take any place you give him, whether small or great. He just needs a few things out of your life, just enough. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, spoke to my life to both reveal and to preach a restoration today. Yes, people say I'm missing someone and yes, I'm I'm missing some things, but but, but I'm okay. No, 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 wait, wait. We got to get everything back. We need to have everything. We can't compromise anything. We can't give the devil anything of our lives. Here's what I'm promoting today through the Holy Ghost. You need to admit today, I know I'm missing something, but I'm going to get it back. I'm not going to be content with just having a few things taken out of my life. I want everything back. This is how I know. This is the way that the devil works. He works incrementally. One little thing here, one little thing there, one little conversation here, one compromise there. And all of a sudden, you won't notice how cold you get. (laughs) This is a, a very interesting scripture. Jesus is leaving. He He's leaving Jericho with a great number of people. There's a lot of clamoring and hustle and bustle and. Over by the highway side where they're leaving, there's a blind man. In fact, he's so notorious that everyone knows who his dad is, the son of Timaeus, Timaeus and his name, Bartimaeus. And uh, He's calling out to Jesus and people are telling him, don't, don't speak, don't speak, don't. you're embarrassing us. And, but the Lord stops and calls for him, of course, and that's when they said, oh, be a good comfort, he calleth thee. Now they all want to get in on the action. Just a moment prior, they were telling him to be quiet. He's yelling. Throws his garment away. He rises. He goes to Jesus. He's blind. So either he's stumbling toward the Lord or hears the Lord's voice. Or perhaps they lead him to the Lord. And Jesus says, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said, now I felt this move in my own spirit. It, this is what I'm about to tell you is not found in the Bible. This is just me speaking to the Lord in my own devotion time. And then the Lord put it in my mind. And I felt this. I felt this. I felt the Lord just impress me. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, Jeffrey, I knew he was blind. His blindness was not hidden from me. And I said, well, I'm just talking to the Lord. Well, Lord, why the question? Why would you ask him what he needed? Why why would you ask Bartimaeus, what what do you want me to do? It's obvious that he's blind. You know he's blind. Everybody knows he's blind. 
In fact, the definition of his name is blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. You, you know people, they have a name before the name. It's a description name, you know. And it's some, sometimes it's about their personality. Sometimes it's about their looks, whatever. Sometimes it's about their status. Sometimes it's about their education. Doctor. Well, you know, it, it denotes some intelligence. Dr. Ben, Dr. Jones, you know, you know the opposite. Dumb Dilbert, you know that. Put something name. I, I just made that name because we don't have anybody named Dilbert here. I hope not. <laughs> I've messed up many times, so I, if it is, I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. And I asked the Lord, why the question? Why would you ask him? This, and again, this is just me. The Lord just impressed this in me. And the Lord spoke to me and said, because I require you to ask, to reveal, to make a petition. I will, this is what the Lord spoke to me. I will restore you when you make an admission and reveal. I'll put the grapes back in there. But you got to come clean and say, I'm missing something. The enemy has taken something. I've learned to live with it for a long time, but I'm unwilling now to live with that. Because some of us aren't struggling with out, outright sin, but you're struggling with, with skepticism and doubt. And there was a time you didn't struggle with that, but through the years, you've had enough disappointments that now you're cautious you say that and you just don't want to get into the deep end because you don't know how it's going to end up and grapes have been taken from you and you've learned how to live with what was left over but that's not the will of God for your life that's not the will of God for our church the will of God for you is not for you to cope through your Christianity. Here's the will of God for you to have joy, power, life, and that more abundantly. And I'm preaching today that God is going to add to your life today. He's going to add to you tomorrow. He's going to add to you this week. He's going to add to you next week. I stand here to declare we've lost some things along the way, but thanks be to God, his goodness is still prevailing, and we're going to get back all the grapes. It may be a few, but we're unwilling to lose them. But here's what I know. You know you're blind. He knows you're blind. And he's still asking, what would you like for me to do for you? And if you say, well, listen, if it's not obvious, I'm not going to tell you. That's not how the Lord works. It is obvious. It is true. You know it. Maybe other people know it. Who knows? But I can tell you God knows it. But the Lord still wants you to come. He's still asking you today, what would you like for me to do for you? And you can say, well, Lord, don't you know? Don't you know? Yes, he knows. But you have got to, re- you've got to uncover and reveal and admit. And then God is going to say, guess what? I'm going to do what you ask, even though I knew what you needed and I knew what you wanted. But you've got to come clean and say, I'm missing something and I got to have it back now. Listen, if the, if the enemy took everything, there's no question. 
If he wiped you out, there's no question. Man, we've seen it before. There's no doubt. In fact, no one is truly hidden when they are wiped out. But almost everybody is cloaked when they've just been pilfered by a few things. And you sit here and hear me preach and you hear the lessons and you enjoy the worship and the music. But you got a couple things missing. Today, you got to just confess that and say, you know, I'm ready to get all those things back too. I'm going to get that little thing back. I, I, I know I can live without it, but I don't have to live without it. Why would I live without it? You know what I want? I want so much faith in me that I don't have any room for doubt. I want so much, I want so much power in me that I don't have any room for weakness. David sinned and he's writing a psalm of great repentance. He, he needs the spirit, he says. He's, he says, please, oh Lord, don't, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I, I want to be washed, he says, and I, I want to be clean. David's plea is the pattern of contrition, of repentance for all generations of time. But when it came to restoration, David knew, I can't lose my joy. I need my joy. Restore unto me, he said in Psalm 51, 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Hold me up. Lord because many people can be forgiven but they lose their joy I don't want to just be forgiven and be clean I want my joy back I want that great back I want happiness back I want excitement back I want fervency back Some of you biblical scholars, you can help me with this. But from my viewpoint, I think you can go to heaven depressed. I think you can be saved in sorrow and anguish and anxiety. Because you've been forgiven and you've been saved. But you don't have to live that way. I don't want to just wait for heaven to have a shout. I want to get some joy back in my step today. I'm not letting the devil take that out of me. I know I'm saved, but I'm missing something. I know I'm right with God, but there's something going for me. It's the weathering of my life. Just, Just a few grapes here and a couple grapes there. And all of a sudden... We're watching people teach and preach. And we're looking at people shout and magnify God. And we're saying in the back of our mind, I remember when I used to do that. Oh, I remember way back when, when man, I didn't know any problems of anybody. Wasn't that a great life? But I learned a few things along the way. and Not everybody. There's some hypocrites. I'll tell you what. You should expunge all of that out of your brain. Because that's messing you up. All the information about all the inconsistencies and hypocrisies and trouble. That's messing your mind up. You ought to get away from that. Because God is still good. He's just as good today as he was when you didn't know all that stuff. And you got to recover some confidence in the Lord. It's time for you to get all that stuff back. You ought to get your bounce back and your step back and your fervency back and your serving back and your giving back and your love back and your mercy back. Okay, Pastor, well, how do I do that specifically? First, you admit I'm blind. 
Um, I'm blind. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, Lord, but I got anxiety. You know, Lord, I've been depressed. I got, I got a thing in my brain that tells me I'm not good enough. Nobody loves me. I'm alone. I know it's not true, but it's still haunting me. I believed it. I didn't say it, but I've been living it. The first step is you say, I need you, Lord. I'm ready to be healed. I'm ready to be healed. Come, he calleth thee. And you're standing there with all this stuff. And Jesus said, what would you like? Well, you know, I got this condition, Lord. I'm blind. (laughs) I'll just read for you. Joel 2. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. Isaiah 41 and 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That means with his power. I'm going to take my righteous, powerful authority. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I, God said, I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord. Here are my thoughts, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. He's going to show you something today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you're never going to see them again. Isaiah 40 and 29. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no strength, no might, nothing left. He increases them in strength. Isaiah 43 and 2. When you pass through the waters... It looks like a flood. It looks like they're going to overtake you. It's it's rising up to your shoulders and you're trying to stand on your tiptoes to get some air. I will be with you. And when you pass through the river. Let me just help you with something. The waters are not moving. They're just deep. Read the scripture. The waters are not moving. They're just deep. They're too deep for you. Because you get into things that are over your head and you don't know how you got there. And you'll drown in them. Because you cannot stay up and breathe in a deep water that's over your head forever. But God said, when you get in those waters, I'm going to be with you. And when you pass through the river, the river doesn't have to be deep, but it's flowing. It's a rapid. It's moving you. There are rocks and debris. It'll, it'll, the crashing rocks will destroy you. But when the river comes, it's going to sweep you. It just wipes everything out. It's moving you. You have no strength to get back. You can't get to the edge. But God said, if you're standing in the deep or if you're being swept away, I am going to be with you. 
back, Lord. Get me back where I need to be, Lord. And when you walk through the fire, come on, somebody. When you walk through the fire, the flames are not, they're blazing up, but you're not going to get burned. Why? Because the Lord can keep you afloat in the deep. He can protect you from the current, and he can embrace you in the flame. Come on, stand your feet. Stand your feet and clap your hands unto the Lord. And out of your mouth, just confess to the Lord. I'm revealed before you. You forgave me, Lord. Now I'm asking the Lord, give me some joy back. I, I don't want to lose that. You, you've healed my body, Lord, but now heal my spirit, Lord. You, you've given me all the blessings, Lord, but the devil, the enemy is still taking a few things from me. I know when I'm wiped out, but I'm not wiped out. I'm just, I'm just pilfered, Lord, and I know you're going to restore today because you're going to keep me. You're going to keep me. You're going to keep me. You're going to bless me. I want all of that back, Lord. I want all of that back, Lord. Cover my mind, Lord, from all the troubles that I went through, Lord, so that I can only see you block out all the junk and all the stuff, Lord. If there's a faint memory, I'm going to rebuke it because I know that's the devil trying to work on me. I want that back, and I want that back. I want everything back. It's not the will of God for you to lose even one grape. It's not the will of God for you to even lose one thing out of your life. That's not the will of God for you. He came to give you life and then add to it. He came to give you abundant life. He came to stack upon you blessing after blessing, blessing after blessing, gift after gift, help after help. That's the will of God for you. He doesn't want you to cope till you get to heaven. He wants you to be blessed and powerful. And the word of the Lord is in this place and you don't need an invitation to climb out of your pew and say, I'm here, Lord. I'm here to admit. I'm here to reveal. I've got to have you. I've got to have everything. That's right. That's right. Let it pour out of your heart. Let it pour out of your spirit now because the Lord knows all that. You got to just say, Lord, now you, you see me. You see me. I know what's going on, but let me tell you. Let me tell you from my own lips, Lord. And here's what I desire. I want to be whole. I want to be intact, Lord. I want to have all that you have promised me. I want to have faith, Lord, that will move a mountain. I want to have courage to fight every battle, Lord. Beautiful Savior. Beautiful Savior. Beautiful Savior. Beautiful Savior. 
oh my oh my and I feel the great presence of God it's the love of the Lord that's sweeping through baptize us Lord with your grace and your mercy and your great love and sustain us Lord lift us up Lord that's right come on that's right that's right that's right come lift up your hands that's right come lift up your open up your spirit to God open up your spirit to God Now, from your spirit, don't worry about what other people think. You're crying out to Jesus, have mercy upon me. Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes.